Well, good morning. And uh, some of you are, were not expecting to see me mic'd up this morning. Uh, matter of fact, I had several say, I thought Mike was preaching. I don't know if that was a disappointment or a, uh, just a statement of fact, but uh, whatever. Uh, earlier in the week, I sent Todd a text, and I said, we, he texted me and said that he had tested positive, and I texted him back, and I said, does that mean the pastor emeritus gets to preach since all the other pastors have been exposed to you? And he said, well, ha, 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 Mike's already claimed it. He's, he's ready. I said, okay, that's fine. I was, I was only half kidding. And so uh, a little bit later in the day, he texted me and said, you still want to preach Sunday? And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, we, Mike's going to be tested, but if he tested positive on Friday night, then I'd have to call you Saturday morning, so let's just go ahead and do it. I said, okay, that sounds perfect to me. So I'm glad to be here and be sharing the word with you this morning. I've had the privilege the last couple of weeks to preach to a church, Crossroads Baptist Church in Berkeley, California, uh, both uh, the last two Sundays, for my friend Walter Price, who is their interim, and they're doing everything by Zoom, because, you know, California is basically totally locked down. So he's interim from Southern California to Northern California by Zoom, and so he called me and asked if I could preach one Sunday, and I said, sure, so I did. And then he called me the next day and said, can you preach next Sunday? I just tested positive, so I'm not feeling very good about getting a sermon ready. So I've had three Sundays in a row now uh, to preach. That's a great joy uh, to be able to do that. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, this morning to Psalm 93. If you've been around Grace Baptist long, you know that uh, you've probably heard this psalm preached on several times over the last 15 years or so because it's, it is one of my favorites, and it's one that I look to a lot of times in times of difficulty. And I, I come to this psalm this week. Uh, Todd gave me the, uh, the choice of either going on in Romans 14, where he is, or to do something totally different. And I started out looking at Romans 14, and then this week happened. And it's been a week, without a doubt, of uh, chaos and, and wonder and, and just kind of scratching your head. But then I thought about it, and so has the last, uh, you know, two weeks in the beginning of the new year. But then I laughed and thought, well, so has all of 2020 been that way. So it's been kind of chaos and uncertainty and unknown. And I think one of our problems as the Christian church today is, is that we, as we've talked about many times, we so often focus on the problems and glance toward God. We gaze on the problems and glance toward God. And uh, we need to f focus our attention on who he is and know that where our trust is is not in political systems. It's not in, in the media. Certainly, it's not in anything that surrounds us on this earth. But our hope and our trust is in the true and the living God in Jesus Christ alone. Solo Christo. In Christ alone is where we place our trust. And, and the psalmist in, in Psalm 93 is kind of focusing our attention in the right direction. It, it's interesting that this psalm is one of about, I guess, six psalms, five or six psalms or more, that, are, are, that proclaim and celebrate the centrality and the need to focus on God and God alone. They're psalms that were read every year at, in various worship times at the beginning of the new year. The, the Jews were called together as they came to worship to focus this year, the brand new year, the year that is laying out before us, to focus our attention on what really matters. And Psalm 93 is just one of those. Psalm 95 is another one that I had Pastor Ricky read as our 
uh, hearing the Word of God this morning because it gives us the, the focus for worship. And, and focusing on God always leads to worship. Focusing on God always is worship. And so that's what we're thinking about in this year as we begin this new year together. Listen to the Word of God as I read from Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall, not, it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Hear that. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come to your word for encouragement and come to your word for comfort. We can come to your word, O Lord, to direct our thinking in the way that our thinking ought to be. Lord, we are weak. I am weak. And I confess to you, O Lord, that I have worried, I have, I have been perplexed, I have struggled with all of the events of the last months and, and year. And Lord, my focus has at times not been where it needs to be. So Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you this morning on behalf of our people and on behalf of myself to say, Lord, help me focus more fully on what really matters. And that is focusing on you and who you are and what you are doing. Father, we thank you for your word and your spirit that is present with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This psalm, while technically does not have a title in the old Psalter, in the Hebrew Psalter, it does kind of lead off with those first three words that kind of set the tone for this and the psalms that follow through Psalm 99. And that is the simple three words, the Lord reigns, the Lord rules, the Lord is sitting on his throne, and nothing will ever change that is the implication and the statement really of the, prophet, of the psalmist in this particular verse. The prophets deal with that also, as we'll see later, as even the passage that Pastor Matt read is our call to worship this morning. But the Lord reigns is the kind of proclamation which God's people are called to proclaim before a watching world. The, that God reigns, the Lord reigns, is what we as a church ought to be saying to those outside these walls seven days a week, every single time we have a chance to speak, especially when circumstances of this world are brought up, when it, whether it's COVID or, or storming the Capitol or whether it's, it's the election or whatever it might be, when people start bemoaning the horrible situation and the horrible chaos that we find ourselves in, the, the only real valid response for the true believer is to say, yes, that is all true, but the Lord reigns. God is on His throne. He has not abdicated. He has not changed. So no matter how chaotic things may appear to be, no matter how much in disarray they may seem to be, God reigns, He is in control, and that's what the psalmist is wanting to call our attention to on this particular morning. When we look at this psalm, only five verses, 
the shortest of all the psalms that proclaim his glory and pro- pro- proclaim his reigning. It, it, it says so much in so little space. Verse 1, when it says the Lord reigns, he talks about him being robed in majesty. He talks about putting on strength as his belt. And in those verses, it's just showing us what the reign of God is really all about. What is the reign of our sovereign God? Uh, The first two verses really speak of His nature and the nature of His reign. He talks about the majesty of God. The majesty of God has to do with His dignity, His authority, His sovereign power, His stateliness, His grandeur. Have you ever watched a, a... some kind of ceremony over in Britain or any other place where they have monarchs, when, when the queen comes out in a, an official capacity and she is robed with her beautiful robe and she has on the crown jewels and the, thro- and the crown upon her head and she walks out before her people and there is this picture of absolute majesty, stateliness, grandeur. She wears something that says, intentionally or not, probably intentionally, But she wears something that says, I am not you. I am different from you. I am more important than you. I am greater than you. I am your monarch. I am your queen. I am the one who rules this land. Now, we know that in modern-day monarchy, that's not exactly the truth. The parliament and the, the prime minister and others have really more power than the queen does. But symbolically... The queen presents herself as the one who is majestic and powerful and robed in beauty and glory, symbolically. What the psalmist is saying here is what earthly monarchs want to present symbolically, God is. What what monarchs want to make you think they are, God really is. It says he, he he is robed in majesty. Uh, Isaiah shows this uh, quality in Isaiah 6. You know that passage when King Uzziah dies and Isaiah goes to the temple and the thresholds are trembling and smoke is filling the temple and he looks up and he sees a vision of God, high, exalted and lifted up, sitting on his throne and the train of his robe fills the temple and the seraphim are are flying around the throne of God crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And in that particular instance, you see this, this grandeur, this majesty of God and Isaiah saw it. And when Isaiah saw it in all of its reality, he fell on his face before God and he said, Woe is me, unworthy am I, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and I have seen the Lord. I am done. Woe is me. I am undone. That, That idea of seeing God in His majesty, seeing God in His glory, gives us just a bit of a glimpse of why we need not fear why we need not worry, why we need not struggle. There is the majesty of God. There is the power of God. Psalmist says he's robed himself in majesty. He is robed in majesty and he has put on strength or power as his belt. This means that the majesty of God is not a mere show of power. It's not like Queen Elizabeth who just stands there and looks like she possesses something that ultimately she really doesn't possess, but he has put on strength as his belt. That is what he presents and what he shows that he is, he really is. It's the strength 
of actual sovereignty. It's the strength of actual power. James Mays, the commentator, said this about this particular verse. He said, the declaration Yahweh Malach, which is Yahweh reigns in Hebrew, involves a vision of reality that is the center, the theological center of the Psalter. The Lord reigns, Yahweh, Yahweh reigns, God reigns, is, is presenting a reality, a fact of reality, not of dreams or hopes or anything else. James goes on to say, James Mays goes on to say that, that this is really the center of worldview formation. You cannot have a Christian worldview unless you see that great reality. You cannot have a, a Christian worldview that looks at all the circumstances and all their chaotic mess without looking at it and recognizing that God reigns, the Lord reigns, Yahweh Malak, the Lord reigns in power and majesty and beauty. Lord reigns, strength is his belt. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. There he's not saying the earth in and of itself is now safe. He's not saying that the earth is established, it'll never be moved. Nobody, no one, nowhere, not even God can move it because of its established nature. No. The psalmist is saying the earth is established, the earth is secure, the earth is what it is because our God reigns. He has purposed it to be so. He has declared it to be stable. He has declared it to stand until the time when he says it shall not stand any longer. It shall never be moved because of the power and the establishment of God and his majesty. Talks about in verse 2 as well that, that his throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. You see the majesty of God, you see the power of God. In verse 2 you begin to see what is called in theological terms the immutability of God, the unchangeableness of God. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. That's what the author means when it says the term established. It's established here and the world is established based on his throne being established. The one characteristic that separates God clearly from all of us is that idea of unchangeableness. We are always changing. We're fickle. We are, we are less than we're less than steadfast many times. We, we do get scared. We do get worried. We do let things get to us. And yet God doesn't. He is established of old. His throne is established. And it will not be shaken by earth or man or anything else. And we need to get that as the focus of our worldview. The psalmist is talking here not only about the majesty, the power, and the immutability of God, but he's also speaking of the eternality of God, the eternal nature of God. This means, quite simple, that God is, He has always been, and He always will be. There, there is no changing in that. God always has been. I, I think I, you've heard me tell the story about my first church out of seminary when I went to... Uh, 
when I was walking around during the Sunday school hour one Sunday morning, and I, I passed by, I think it was probably about a four- and five-year-old classroom, and I, I heard the teacher ask the question to the young class, uh, these young theologians, four and five years old, and, and the teacher said, well, tell me, class, who made God? And I thought, boy, this is a great teachable moment. This girl, this lady is on top of it. And little Johnny, whoever, said, well, God made God. And I was waiting for her to give the correct answer. And she said, Johnny, that's absolutely right. Me and that teacher had a discussion that following week on what was real and what was not. No, God didn't create God. How could God create God? If God created God, I would have had to have been God and not been God at the same time. He had to be God so he could create God, but he couldn't be God to be created. So, so the idea of God creating God, the idea of God having any beginning is absolutely nonsensical, theologically and biblically speaking, worldview speaking. No, the psalmist says that you are, your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. You are, you are the God that is and always has been and always will be. Uh, again, to use the, the theological term for that, it's the aseity of God or the aseity of God. The isness of God. God just is and always has been. I love how Psalm, just three Psalms earlier in this book, talks about that in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says there, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There's no equivocation, there's no doubting, there's no wondering about how long or how secure God is in himself. As a matter of fact, in Revelation, John, in that great vision that he has, calls him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Doesn't mean he has a beginning and has an end. It just means as far as we can look back for a beginning, he is there. And as far as we can look out into the future and think about the future and contemplate the future, he is there. A concept that's hard for our finite minds to comprehend, but a reality nonetheless. The Alpha and the Omega, He is the God who simply is. And all of that really means two things for us practically. Two things that we can really grasp hold of. One is that God can be trusted whether there are riots or whether there is COVID or whatever there might be, God can be trusted to remain as he reveals himself to be. We never have to worry, is God going to change his mind and change his ways and change his plan and, and we be left out in the cold? As he reveals himself to be in his word, he will always be, and we can trust that. He will be at the end of our days exactly as he was at the beginning. He will be at the end of our Christian life exactly as he was when we began this Christian life. The, the same things, the th same things that were true then are the things that are true now. He can be trusted. Second thing it means about God is that He is inescapable. He is inescapable. Psalm 139 talks about if I go to the highest mountain or if I go to the deepest sea, if I go into the realm of the dead even, Lord, you are there. There is nowhere that I can go to escape your presence. You are 
inescapable. We, we, try, we, we may try to ignore Him. We may in our own sin, sin and try to hide that from Him and say that He can't see it and He can't know it. But let me be here to tell you, He knows it, He sees it, and He calls us to repentance of it. He is inescapable. The, the, the fact that He is a, a Holy Spirit indwelling His people means that our God can be trusted. Our God is inescapable. Now, for the believer, that ought to be a great comfort. You can't go anywhere and get away from Him. You can't go anywhere and hide from Him. You can't fall into sin and Him not be there to convict you and pull you out of it. He's inescapable. For the unbeliever, that's a fearful thought. That I can't get away from this one. I can't hide from this one. I can't, I can't cleverly trick this one. He knows all, he sees all, he is all. So there's who God is. The psalmist says in two short verses, the beauty and the glory of the reign of our sovereign God in majesty and power in unchangeableness and for eternity. And then he talks about the world's chaos around us. I'm sure as the, as the Jewish people are preparing for the new year, as they're looking ahead, they, they see enemies out there that are going to threaten them. They see they see things that they are fearful of, and, and the psalmist acknowledges that. But in verses 3 and 4, he said, listen, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. When he talks about these thunders of many waters and waves of the sea and and all of these things, when he talks about the, the floods lifting up their voice, those are symbolic statements for just the world around us that's in absolute chaos. You see, we look at our world today, in 2020 and 2021, I did see a meme last week where somebody posted, said, on the seventh day of the month of January, they said, okay, we've, we've had our seven-day trial of 2021, we want to cancel our subscription and to kind of feel that way sometimes. I mean, we look at the world and we think, boy, it's really chaotic. We're sitting around with masks on. Somebody sent me a clip this past week of a sermon I preached in, in uh, 20, uh, 2016, four, over four years ago. And they were kind of making a joke about it and said I was a prophet because in the, ma in the, in the uh, clip, and I've, I saved it, I should have played this more, I said, you know, Many people say that at many times we come to church and we wear masks. I wasn't talking about these kind. <laughs> I, I take it as being prophetic. Anyway, the world's in chaos. But folks, that's nothing new to 2020 and 2021. That's nothing new to the 21st century or the 20th century where there were wars. It's nothing new to the 19th century or the 18th or the 17th or go all the way back to the 1st century. Going back beyond the 1st century into the B.C. era when the Psalms were written before Christ came, there was chaos in the world for one reason. It stretched all the way back to the fall. The fall and sin entering the world brought chaos into the world. 
And so when the psalmist says the floods have lifted up their voice, the, the floods are roaring, the, the thunders of many waters, the waves of the sea are mighty. When the psalmist says that, he says, listen, it is true that the world is going to be in chaos, whether it's a COVID-19 crisis or contentious election campaigns or months of protests and riots or the U.S. Capitol building being stormed and, and utter chaos coming out of that. No matter what the chaos is, The Lord on high is mighty. None of that catches him by surprise. None of that scares him. None of that makes God want to just throw up his hands and say, Well, you know, I tried. Lord, I tried so hard and I just couldn't control it. No, no matter how bad the chaos gets, God rules. God rules reigns. No matter how scary it looks, God rules. God reigns. And folks, that's where our security is. That's where our hope is. That's where we stand every single day. God even rules over the forces of nature. Now, now don't miss the truth of Scripture that sometimes those those floods lifting up and their voice crying out and their roaring and their, their thunders and their, their waves of, of the sea, mighty waves of the sea in, in natural disaster or in man-made disaster. Don't ever miss the fact that sometimes those come as judgment. God will judge a nation. God will judge a people. God will judge His people if we are unfaithful see his truth but the underlying truth for all of that that we never can ignore we never can miss that even though things look bad our God reigns matter of fact verse 5 the last verse of the psalm is where David really draws it all together and makes us be sure to understand that God's rule is certain and God's rule is sure. Listen to what he says. Your decrees, you can replace that word decrees with your truths, your proclamations, talking to God, your word, your teaching, your commands, your law. You can put any number of words in there that will fit the same thing the psalmist is saying. Your Decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The psalmist there is talking about the rule of his word. That's why the word is so important in the life of the believer. That's why the word is to, 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 to be standing central in our lives every day. It's not a matter of saying, oh, well, I'll, I'll study the Word when I can get around to it, or I'll read the Bible when I can, or I'll, I'll think about that. No, no, this Word is the way in which He rules in your life and my life. As we place ourselves under its authority and look to it for absolute truth, God's rule of His Word. The psalmist dealt with that in Psalm 19. You remember Psalm 19? I won't 
Uh, I'm going to read just part of it. I don't read the whole thing, but the first part is talking about general revelation. And I know I'm not supposed to lick my finger, but these pages are sometimes difficult. Psalm 19. When the psalmist simply says this, talks about general revelation in the first part, and then he gets to verse 7, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, it enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. That's the rule of His Word. They're true, they're right, they're righteous, they're godly, they're perfect, they're everything they're supposed to be. And by His Word... We are warned of sin and, and danger and warned of what faces us in the world that we need not fear. In other words, David is saying in Psalm 19, God's Word is true and you need to look to it. His Word is truth and He has given us that truth. And I, I love how Paul said to young Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 3.15, he said, so Timothy said, the church is to be the pillar and the support of truth. The church believers are not to shy away from the truth of God's Word. We're not to try to compromise or try to change or try to shift it just a little bit or twist it just a little bit so that it fits the culture or fits our day or, forget, or, or fits what people want it to say. And what people want to hear, to have their ears tickled. No, the church is to be the pillar and the support of the truth. The truth of God's Word. Jesus said it in John 17, 17. Uh, you know, your Word, O Lord, is truth. And by it we are made holy. By it we are sanctified. By it we are changed. You know, we live in a day that disagrees with the Bible a lot. We live in a day that looks at all sorts of things in the Bible and says, well, I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't agree with that. I don't like that. I, I don't think that fits the right side of history. I don't think that, that is what I want the Bible to be. And so I'm going to just forget that part. And as I've said not, numerous times over and over, you can disagree with the Bible all you want. It's still right and you're still wrong. The Bible is the truth of God's Word. Spurgeon said it well when he said in one sermon, Some will ask me, tell us how to discern the truth. You may judge it by three things. By God, by Christ, and by man. That is, the truth which honors God, the truth which glorifies Christ, and the truth which humbles man. 
unless a doctrine exalts God, unless it owns Him as monarch, king of creation, and gives Him absolute power over His creatures, He the potter and ourselves the clay, He molding the vessels as seems good in His sight, we the vessels that are molded after His pleasure, God everything and ourselves nothing, that doctrine is not true if it does not declare that. We know the truth by seeing where it points. Does it point to the glory of Christ and the sovereignty of God and the perfections of God and the reign of God and our being absolute and totally dependent on Him? Or does it glorify man? His word is certain. His word is sure. And His rule is wrapped up in His word. Finally, You see the rule of his character. There in that final verse, verse 5, it simply says this. Your decrees are very trustworthy. The rule, the word. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. I think it's amazing that the psalmist begins this psalm talking about the character of God being majestic being strong. I mean, he could have chosen any attribute of God and and said that, and and it would have been true about it. But he chose to begin this psalm with majesty and strength, majesty and power. And, And he comes to the close of it, and he talks about holiness. The holiness of God is central to his being. That's what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. But the psalmist says not only is holiness the character of God that is unchangeable, but it's also the character of God that befits His house. it's, It's right for His people. Now, folks, I chose this psalm today. Todd said I could have gone on in Romans, and almost did, but I chose this psalm not because I thought you so much needed to hear the psalm preached, but because I thought I needed to hear it preached. Holiness befits the people of God. We are not holy by nature. We are not holy in our own selves. We are not a holy people, a a sanctified people, a, a people who are being rid of sin in our life all by ourselves. But it is the rule of His character, His kingship, His lordship, His monarchyship in our lives that builds holiness. Everything that is associated with God is holy and is becoming holy, and God's people must be that also the vessels of the temple were holy they were set apart by God for God's service the vessels of the new temple which is not made with hands or brick or stone or mortar but the 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 things of the new temple are the people of God the vessels of the new temple are you and me who have been set apart for the glory of God, been set apart for the service to God, have been set apart to declare to the world in chaos, our God reigns. 
And we are to be holy. We must be holy. If everything associated with God is holy and we are associated with God, it follows that we must be holy too. Now, holy in the sense that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ as a positional holiness, but holy in the sense that we are pursuing that every single day. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, when I fear what I see in the world, cleanse me of that fear. Let me confess that sin to you, that I fear man or I fear circumstances more than I fear and love you. Lord, forgive me of that. When I look at, at, at things that just make me angry, and let me tell you, there's been plenty to make you angry in the last few days and months and years. There's a lot to make you angry, no doubt. But when you feel anger at things that are out of your control, remember those things are not out of His control. Lord, forgive me for misplaced anger in these things come. Peter said in his letter to the church in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, says, here's who you are. You are a chosen race. Talking about the believers. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. That's where your citizenship is. Your primary citizenship is in this holy nation, the people of God. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. His work. Calling you out of darkness, calling you into His marvelous light. You are to proclaim his excellencies. And what is the most clear excellency proclaimed in this psalm? Our God reigns. The Lord reigns. If we're not telling our world that is in chaos and lost that great truth, then we are missing our primary calling. Yes, that means pointing them to Christ as Lord, pointing them to Christ as Savior. But all of that is wrapped up in the reign of our Lord who calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all men. Don't be contentious. Don't be argumentative. Don't cause problems. Don't cause heartburn for other people. Pursue peace with all men. And pursue the sanctification or the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's a heavy statement. It's a heavy statement. Pursue peace and pursue sanctification because without that, you won't see the Lord. You won't be in His presence. You won't be His. It's a part of our growth that He does in our life. We are called by a holy God for holiness. We are called by a holy God for holiness. And that holiness is His work in our lives being completed and being worked out day after day after day. When Paul said to the Philippian Christians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about earn it. He's not talking about you can do work to get your salvation. He's saying, no, really, what God has put in you, His righteousness, His holiness, His life, Him dwelling in you, you in union with Him, what God has given you, your salvation Work it out visibly. Let it be seen in holiness. 
Let it be seen in your walk. So as we face uncertain times in 2020, and there will be uncertain days ahead, 2021, there will be uncertain days ahead. We're, we're going to wonder what in the world is happening, probably daily to some extent. Do not ever forget. Do not ever lose sight of that great truth that begins this psalm. The Lord, the Lord omnipotent, the Lord omnipresent, the Lord omniscient, the Lord holy, the Lord reigns. And nothing and nobody, no king, no prince, no president, no congress, no court will be able to end that truth. The Lord reigns. Pray with me.